and rightly so. So that is Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. Good morning, everybody. My name's Ross, if we haven't met. And it is good to be starting off uh, or picking up this series where we left off last year, picking up chapter 13, getting some real uh, action in the story of Jesus and uh, some real teaching points for us. Uh, So how about a pray and then we'll uh, look a bit deeper into what's going on here. Dear Father God, thank you for revealing your love to us and your character for us uh, and for speaking to us through the life of Jesus. And we just pray as we uh, dig a bit deeper into this passage that your spirit will open our hearts, open our eyes so we can see you clearly, so we can not only understand you, but we can understand ourselves better as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The... So I think we're catching up here. The... um, Sorry. We're all working now. Sorry for a few technical difficulties this morning. Uh, it's interesting that in, a, in built in us, there's something inside of us that says we don't want to be a nobody, nobody cares about. Actually, our social status is important to us that we actually care what other people think because it gives us a value. It allows us to know, are we accepted or are we an outsider? Uh, this was highlighted for me just this week. We're at a presbytery meeting, so meetings where all the ministers and elders get together. Uh, one of our ministers, Phil Case, announced his retirement. And with that, uh, a number of guys got up and said, just to testify to his great ministry, how his ministry had affected so many people, his lasting ministry, that people who might not have been Christians are still Christians because of him. Uh, so many people speaking up on what he was doing and, and his good work and testifying personally to to how well he'd served the Lord. And it was kind of one of those awkward things, if you've ever been to a funeral where everybody gets up and they talk about how good the person was who died, you never say a bad thing about somebody at a funeral, it's all good things. Well, this was like that. They were talking about Phil as if he wasn't there, like his coffin was in front of us, going, he was a great bloke serving the Lord, served him to the end, his ministry was good, it's all in the past now. But Phil was there. And anyway, at the end of that, we asked Phil, do you want to say a few words? And he got up and said, well, gee, if I knew all these nice things were going to be said about me, I would have retired years ago. She's saying, I like being affirmed. I like hearing what you guys think of me. I like being held in a high status, in high regard, because we do feel loved and accepted. We're a somebody when we we like that. And there's something inside us like that. As opposed to my experience recently, I was at a meeting with, uh, I think, what I call friends and people, or acquaintances that I know quite well, and somebody called me the wrong name. And you kind of go, oh, what do I mean to them? Well, if they don't know your name, am I even their friend? Am I even a somebody or am I just a nobody? If you want to cut somebody down really quickly, call them the wrong name. Not just forget their name, call them the wrong name. And I realised social status is important to me. You know, that deep underlying, am I accepted? Am I loved? Am I somebody? Do I matter? Does somebody care for me? Now, should we be worried about social status? Should we be worried about what other people think of us? 
It's these sort of questions Jesus pushes into in this last uh, five or so, seven or eight chapters that we're going to be pushing into from now to Easter in the book of John. Do you matter? Is your status worth worrying about? And I'll give you the short answer. Yes, it is worried about, but it's not as you might think. It's different to you might think. See, Jesus pushes against these social protocols, what we think of ourselves, what we think of others, how much does it matter. And it's not just a generation of today. This goes back hundreds of years, thousands of years. People have been concerned about what other people think, their social status. They want to be somebody. Nobody wants to be a nobody. So to push against social protocols, Jesus shakes things up. He turns everything on its head to to shock us, in a sense, to realise the difference that he's making in the world. And this is where we get into the passage, uh, where we start, uh, John prepares us, get ready for action. And he says from these opening verses, it sort of gets us back into, we've spent a few, before Christmas we finished John uh, 12, so it helps us get back into it. So John 13, verse 1, he says, it was just before the Passover festival. And he gives us all these clues about get ready for action because the Passover festival, we should go, whoa, we've seen Passover festivals before. That's where the action is. It was at the Passover festival. Jesus come in and tipped over the tables of the marketplaces and he made a whip and chased out all the, the shopkeepers out of the, the temple. Like when you go to the festival, uh, go to the, the Passover festival, you want to look for Jesus because you know there's going to be action. Actions coming. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Wow, Jesus has been talking about the hour. The hour's not come yet. It's not, the hour's not ready, but now the hour has come. What's the hour? It's been talked about his glory. Jesus is going to be glorified in the hour, but it's also talking about Jesus leaving this world and going to the Father through his death. So John's already given us the heads up. The hour's here. Is coming. Jesus is going to die. Our hero of the story is going to die shortly. And then he also says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. What's going to happen till Jesus dies uh, in the narrative? This is like the Thursday night, this meal. Jesus is going to be dead and buried by Friday night. So he's only got 24, less than 24 hours left. But in this time, he's going to love his disciples to the very end. What does that look like? Get ready for action, he's saying. And just like, it's, it's kind of like the, the trailer to a movie. Gets you in. Let me give you a big highlight. Get ready for the action. All this stuff's happening. Now we move a little bit closer, verse 2. The evening meal was in progress. The evening before he's going to die tomorrow. And the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Judas was one of the disciples. John's given us the the heads up. This is not just a narrative. There's a cosmic war going on here, a cosmic battle, a cosmic story going on. We'll hit more into that next week. Just to give the heads up, there's a few references to Judas in this passage. Next week, it's all about Judas. So we're going to leave him till next week. But just giving you a heads up, there's a lot going on here, this cosmic story. But again, in verse 3, he says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Again, reminding us, Jesus is the hero of the story. He's from God. He has all power laid at his feet. He's great. He is the hero, the great one. The one he is the somebody in the story. But he's going to be returning to God soon. He's going to be dead soon. 
The action's coming. So then we go into the story. Let's take a closer look at the story. And here we see Jesus, how he pours out his love to his disciples to the end. And we get into the story, verse 4. So he got up from the meal, he took off his outer clothing. Notice how everything is slowed right down. And we're given every detail of the setting of this, this story. It's almost like the start of the film and we zoom in. This is the first scene. Have a close look at this. He gets up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, his good clothes, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with his towel that was wrapped around him, given lots of detail. Now, I'm not sure if you're familiar with this story or not or what image this brings to your mind and what this might look like because we're invited to come really close to see what's going on. And I think for many of us, uh, this is a 16th century or 17th century uh, painting of somebody's uh, idea of what was going on and it's very quiet and sombre and reflective. Here's Jesus, humble and meek, washing his disciples' feet. And all the disciples are sitting around amazed and thinking about it. Wow, isn't Jesus? He's doing this for us. There's another painting done in the 17th century that goes like this. It's chaos. It's confusion. What is going on? You can see with, with Peter there going, Jesus, no, 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 you're not doing my feet. And Jesus going, come here, Peter. Come here, I've got to wash your feet. All the other disciples, they're standing up around the table working out what is going, should I be taking off my sandals or should we be doing it, letting Jesus wash our feet? In fact, this is more likely the scene. There is chaos, there is action, there is confusion of what is going on. Because when we understand what foot washing is in the first century, it says first century Roman Empire set in time nearly 2,000 years ago, that, that Jesus sitting down washing the feet is offensive. It's crazy. That when somebody goes in to wash somebody's feet, it's, it's not appropriate for somebody of high standing to do. And it's actually, it's not just a Roman thing in the first century. It's not even a Greek thing that happened before them. It's been going on in the Middle East for hundreds of years, if not thousands of years, the earliest biblical reference is back in Genesis where somebody washes feet. So this is a social tradition that's been going on for hundreds, if not thousands of years of people getting their feet washed in these ceremonies. But when you go to somebody's house, this is how it works out. If I'm the host, I invite you to come to my house. I'll arrange, you know, you come in your good clothing, clothing so you're my guest. I'll arrange to have your feet washed. Now, it's mainly because you haven't hopped out of your car, but you've walked there. And you've walked on the road, and the road where donkeys have walked. So there's donkey mess, there's dog mess. People, blokes have come along, they've spat on the ground. And you've walked through the dust and the odd puddle. You rock up at my house, and I don't want you walking in there to, with, my, with your dirty feet. So I arrange to have your feet washed. I will never wash your feet. That's, that's below me, I'm the host. You come into my house. But you need... Have your feet clean. You're my special guest, guest of honour. I'm not letting you wash your feet. I'm not just going to leave a bowl at the front door, like kicking off your shoes. I'm going to get my servant to wash your feet. Because we're too high. We're, too, we're somebody. Get a servant who's a nobody to come and wash your feet. Not only a servant. In Jewish culture, which is where Jesus is. Jew, Jesus was born a Jew. He's in the Jewish culture. In Jewish culture, even if your servant was a Jew and you're a Jew, they're too high to wash your feet. A Jewish servant will never wash another Jew's feet. It's a foreigner's servant. 
a nobody. You'd get your nobody servant that nobody cares about to wash your feet. And because they're a nobody, they're never going to sit at the dinner table with us because we're somebodies. The nobody, foreigner, the outsider will never be around us because they're outsiders. They're nobodies. We don't care about them. They're the ones that wash your feet. Not even a Jewish servant or slave will wash another Jew's feet. That's the way it plays out. That's the way it plays out. It's a social tradition that's been going on for hundreds of years. So when Jesus comes out and puts the towel around his robe, not just is he another Jew, but he's their, their teacher, their master, and these guys are the disciples, the followers. They know Jesus is Lord, he's king of the universe, but yet he's going to put the towel around. He's going to get down on his knees and say, pass me your feet, I, I need to wash your feet. That's That's turning all the social structures upside down. You're not going to let that happen. If Jesus comes to your feet, you're going, hey, there's something really wrong with this. And that's why Peter responds uh, like this in verse 6. He comes to Simon Peter. That's Jesus comes to Simon Peter. He says to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? It's like, hang on. There's a lot of things totally wrong with this. Actually, you're making me feel embarrassed because you're not just a foreign slave. But you're Lord, you're Master. You're embarrassing me by touching my feet. In fact, I'm embarrassed for you, Jesus. I'm embarrassed for you. What are you doing? You're the Master. You're the teacher. And now washing my feet. The whole thing's super uncomfortable, chaotic, offensive even, that Jesus would do something like this. But Jesus replies then. Uh, Peter says, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus says, You don't realise what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, no, says Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And you've got to understand the weight of what Peter's saying. This is never going to happen. In the Greek language, because this is written in the Greek, this word never, uh, some words are built up by joining two words together. And this word never literally means into eternity. It's kind of like as far as you can see. Into eternity is this word never. So into eternity, you are never, or you, you will not wash my feet for eternity. It's not going to happen. That's how strong Peter's language is, is here. But Jesus answered, unless I, wash, unless I wash you, you have no part in me. Now, there's one thing we do know about Peter. He does want to be with Jesus, loves Jesus, wants to be his follower. So he does want to be a part of Jesus. So if that's the deal... Verse 9, then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my head, my head, my hands, my head as well. You almost get this picture like he's got his arms up, pulling up his shirt and going, bring it on, Jesus. I need a full on bath. But Jesus answered, those who have had a bath only need to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean. We'll look into that a little bit more next week about what that means spiritually. But he goes on, Jesus, uh, Peter, pull your head in. I'm not going to give you a bath. He says there's two lessons going on here. One story, two lessons. The first one is, it's almost like Peter's mucking up the metaphor a little bit, but Jesus answers him in a, a literal way. There's a physical answer. Peter, you don't need a bath. You're come, you knew you were coming out for dinner. You should have had a bath before you come, so you only need to wash your feet when you're here. That's the physical lesson. It's kind of like shooting down Peter, where Peter's head's at. But there's also the, the spiritual lesson of what's going on here. 
there's a spiritual understanding that he says, you'll, you'll understand this later, but as we know the end of John and how John ends, we kind of can pick up on that spiritual lesson now. That just as Jesus needed to get down on his knees to touch his dirty disciples' feet, you know, I'd get down on my knee, I'd pull out the thing, pull out the bucket, grab the feet, pull off that, yeah, yeah, that's a bit of donkey poo and doggy do and all this mud between your toes and grinding under your nails, let me wash it off. Let me, as he literally does it, as a real event, it's not just a story, a real event, just as Jesus cleans off the stains off their feet, that's what he's got to do to our heart. He's going to show later that our hearts are stained just as bad, but in a more serious way. Our hearts are stained by sin, and that is bad. Because this is where sin is, is that thing where we do, where we say, look, I don't want you, God. I don't want to be living life your way, but I want to live life around me because I'm the most important thing in this world, and I want to go my way. And sin plays out in all different ways in our life. And that stains our heart. And with a stained heart, we can't be in God's presence. We can't have the relationship. It's pulling us away from God. So what Jesus is doing is when he goes to the cross, he says, this is where I'm going to wash you clean. Through his blood, he washes us. Not with water, not down on his hands and knees, but just as Jesus got on his hands and knees and put the towel around him, Jesus is going to be stripped naked down to a cloth around his waist and he's going to get his hands and his feet nailed to a cross and his blood is going to pour as they put the spear in his side. He says, I'm going to wash you clean through that. It's not until we see the cross of Jesus hanging on the cross for his disciples, we realise we thought Jesus was being a servant when he was washing our feet. But that's a servant that would lay down his life for us. And what he does to our heart is like where Jesus saw the literal poo on our feet and cleaned it off he's going look i can see your heart i can see what's going on in there and i know i can clean it that stain you can't clean it but he says look that greed that you've got yes all that stuff in me the greed that says life's about me i want to build my kingdom i want to build uh, have everything that i want and i'm going to live for me and have my party and my life and my glory all that greed jesus says let me have it we think nobody sees that stuff. Or we might even live in denial. Go, oh no, my heart's clean, I'm all right. She says, no, no, I can see it. There's no secrets here. Give it to me. And he takes it. And he goes on him on the cross. That's right, the pride. When we think we're better than other people and we think, oh yeah, you know, we, our social status is so much better than everybody else and we don't want to talk to them because there's nothing in it for me. All that pride that says the world revolves around me and not God, that, that instead of living for God and revolving all my life around him, I want God to revolve his life around me and give me what I want, make me look good and me be proud. Jesus says, hand it over because that's staining your heart. Give it to me. So he grabs, he can see what's going on in your heart. But he says, give it to me. Give it to me on the cross. The other thing we do is we lust. We lust after stuff, we lust after people, we lust after our desires, we lust after stuff. I want this, I want that, I want that, because it's all about me and my kingdom. We keep it in our heart, nobody can see that. No, no, nobody lusts. But 
yeah, Jesus says, I can see what's going on. I can see your heart is stained and that's a problem, but I can fix it. Give it to me. So he grabs it out of your heart and he takes it on the cross. So he dies to our sin and through the shedding of his blood, we are washed clean. We're left with a pure heart, a heart that is right before God, a heart that we can go, wow, I don't deserve this. Wow, I'm a somebody. With a stained heart, you're a nobody before God. But with a clean, pure heart, I'm one of his children. I'm accepted, I'm loved, and I'm valued. It's interesting that it's only when we see Jesus on the cross that we actually realise the weight of our sin because often we think our sin's not much. Oh, you know, a little bit of sin here, it's all right, somebody else is doing worse. But no, it sins that breaking our relationship, it stains our heart and Jesus says, I've got to die for that. That's when we realise the weight of our sin. It's when we see Jesus on the cross that we realise the importance of confessing our sin. Jesus says, look, I'm willing to die for this. I'm willing to take it so you're clean. But we need to acknowledge it and confess it and go, here, Jesus, here, Jesus, please take it so I can be washed clean again. So we need to confess our sin, acknowledge it, own it, but hand it over to him. And it's only when we see Jesus on the cross dying to our sin that physical, literal death, but a spiritual cleansing, then we realise what a clean heart really looks like. We go, if Jesus died for my sin, I don't have to prove myself anymore. He's washed me clean. I've got to clean. I'm free from the burden of sin. I'm accepted by God. I'm loved by God. I'm so valued by God that God would send his son into the world and die on the cross. If you want to know how loved you are by God, Look at Jesus on the cross to know he's only there because he's dying for your sin and my sin. That's how much you're loved. We are fully loved. The Bible often uses this uh, illustration of a banquet table, that when we are in relationship with God, when we are a somebody, when we're welcomed inside, that we're invited to the wedding banquet of God, it's often called. And it's a great illustration because I think for even for us today, you know you're a somebody when you're invited to somebody's wedding reception, right? If you get the reception uh, invitation, you come along, and almost like it's defined, where am I with my relationship with him? Because who goes to the, the wedding receptions? It's usually close family and close friends. There's somebody in their eyes. So to go to a wedding reception, it's like, wow, I'm here. They think that I'm worthy of being in their presence. But this is how it is with God too. God says, I want you at my wedding bank, uh, my, my wedding table, the, 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 the wedding, Revelation calls it, of the church and Jesus comes together. And I want you to be there. I'm not just going to demand that you wash your feet when you walk in, but actually I need you to have a clean heart when you come in. But it's all right. Jesus is going to give you that clean heart. Jesus is going to reach out and make you worthy. The outsiders are nobodies at the table. We're somebodies and Jesus does that. Through Jesus washing our heart clean, we're at the table with the Father God, with Jesus sitting over there and all the saints, brothers and sisters. We're there, we're family because of what Jesus has done. He's washed our heart clean. Now, when we talk about status then, status is everything. Status before God, that is. Maybe 
We need to rethink our status around the world, uh, what society tells us. But our status before God is everything. How's your heart? Has it been washed clean? So back to the dinner table discussion, the table talk, Jesus fleshes this out a little bit more. We pick it up in verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on, their, put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, has washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Now we read that, and I've got to confess, I've read this lots of times, and I go straight to what's the action point? Jesus made himself a servant as an example for us. I've got to be, if I want to be a follower of Jesus, if I want to be a Christian, I've got to be a servant too. I've got to do. I've got to do, the, do what Jesus says. And we focus what Jesus has done and we've got to do the same. We've got to be a bigger and better servant. He washed the feet, I've got to wash others' feet. Now, you've got to realise what's going on here. The whole, and this is sort of one of these things where it would have been kind of cute and funny if uh, we got some people up here for, for me to wash their feet. We might have got a bit of a laugh out of that. But I think we missed the whole controversial side of this. What Jesus has done is actually, it's much it's more than a giggle. It's actually turned everything on its head. Jesus is not just saying, do what I do. He's not just saying, toughen up. If I'm man enough to get down on my knees and wash your feet, you do the same. And then what do we do? We walk away, we beat ourselves up. Yeah, we need to go and get on the lawnmower roster and go and cooking roster and do all this. And we beat ourselves, we've got to be a better servant. Now, that's not totally wrong. We need more people on the mowing roster and cook food and all that stuff. Uh, but we beat ourselves up because we try and do what Jesus did because that's what Christians do. Now, the argument against this is, well, hang on. He's Jesus. I'm not. Jesus walked on water. I'd love to walk on water, but I can't walk on water. Jesus can wash people's feet. Jesus can die for people. I'm not Jesus. I can't do what Jesus did. And it picks up a point of, yeah, it's not just a matter of doing what Jesus did, but it's who he is that matters. Jesus was so secure in his identity that he, he can do this stuff. Jesus shows us a gospel principle. See, the society says, society says, the higher you are in status, the less you have to serve. Because, you know, the higher person, the more important person you are, you have employees, you have servants, you have other people running around doing your stuff. So society says, climb the ladder, be a somebody, so you don't have to serve. Where Jesus is saying, no, no, through gospel principles, you are a somebody. And if you already are a somebody, the more you can serve, not the less you can serve, the more you can serve. I don't know if you noticed as we went through the passage, John emphasised a few things. Let's just skip back a little bit. Verse 1, he, said, he made a point of letting us know Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Jesus knows that. Do you think anything is going to jeopardise him returning to the Father? Because his identity, his, he, it's who he is. His God is the Son of God. And he's going back to the Father. Whether he's serving in a bucket or dying on a cross, nothing's going to change that. 
because he's securing his identity. He knows who he is. He's somebody to God. Verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Jesus knows, hey, I don't have to serve. In fact, I have all power laid at my feet. I can get you to serve me. I can call in a hundred foreign slaves to wash feet. But it's because he's so secure in his identity, he can do what he does without jeopardising his social status, who he is. Verse 13, when Jesus is talking to his disciples, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, because that's what I am. He says, you know, I know who I am. I'm secure in who I am. Not in the world's eyes. If you walked into that room when Jesus was down washing his disciples' feet, you'd, go, you'd walk in and go, oh yeah, Peter, John, Paul. You'd see all the disciples and you go, where's Jesus? I can see the slave, but where's Jesus? You would not think he is Lord. But he says, that doesn't worry me. Because I know who I am. My social status in God's eyes is val- I'm valued. I'm a somebody, I'm important. So that means I can serve, I can do the lowest of low of washing people's feet. Actually, I can even die on a cross to be cursed and spat on and whipped. But that's okay. I can be a servant because I know who I am and I'm valued and treasured and I'm part of God's kingdom. It's emphasised in the passage. That's why Jesus has gone through all this long process. Do you know who you are? I'm washing your feet so you'll know that you're going to have a washed heart soon. So you know who you are. You're not the slave outside, but you're sitting at the table. You're with God. You're valued. You're loved. You're one of the family. You're one of us. Spiritually speaking, heavenly speaking, you're valued. That's your status. That's your status. So now when it comes to serving, you can do what I do because you can... Act like a slave, it's not going to affect your identity. This is how he wraps it up uh, from verse 16. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do the same. What he's saying is if you're the master and your identity is not in the social setting around you, 21st century uh, Australia, but your status is banked on in the heavenly realms, in God's eyes, you can be a servant. You can serve the servant and it doesn't matter. It doesn't affect your status. If you're the master and you have the boy doing errands for you, sending messages, you can serve him. The world's going to say, oh, what, what sort of master are you doing the dirty jobs for him? You're not a very good master. You don't deserve that social status. But no, it doesn't matter because in the heavenly realms, you're somebody. You're somebody important. So you can serve. You can pour out your life onto others. You can do the mowing roster. You can get on the cooking roster. You can do all these things. Not being worried what people think of you because what matters is what Jesus has done for you. What Jesus has done for you. How differently does the gospel turn our social status upside down? Society says you need to be a somebody so you don't have to serve. Sometimes even religion says You need to serve. You need to serve to be a somebody. But Jesus says, no, even that's wrong. The gospel says you are a somebody in Jesus. So now serve. It's not about what you do. It's about who you are that does it. How about I pray that God will help us just to feel the weight of our sin, but also the relief of being freed from that sin, the freedom of identity and the freedom to serve.
Let's pray together. Dear Father God, we just thank you for this amazing message that seeing the gospel played out through Jesus, that at the time it must have been such controversy, Jesus taking the role of a servant, even though he's the mighty Lord. But how controversial is it that the mighty Lord would step on a cross and shed his blood for us and for our sin? Lord, I pray that we will feel the weight of that, that we do realise we need to address that in our lives. Not that we need to live the perfect life, but we need to hand that over to you to let you die for our sin. Not like Peter saying, no, Lord, never, but to swallow our pride and say, thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. Help us to have humble hearts to do that. But Lord, let us rejoice. Let us rejoice in being washed clean. Let's rejoice in our status of being your children. Let us rejoice in how much you love us that you would send your son to die for us. And let us not just talk about it here, but let us transform our lives that we will we'll not hold back in loving others. We'll not hold back from serving others, worried about our social status and what other people think because we know we're treasuring your eyes and you've pursued us and brought us home. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.